Amen. We're turning together this evening in God's precious word to the New Testament, the book of the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and to the chapter 7. The book of the Acts and to the chapter 7. I'm going to move down that chapter. I'm going to read a portion together from the verse 51. And it is Stephen who is speaking here in this portion. He's speaking before his accusers. He has been accused of blasphemy. And soon they are going to rush upon him and stone him to death. And so he speaks here in Acts chapter 7 and in the verse 51. And let us follow in God's word together. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been nigh the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Well, my intention this evening for just a short time around the word of God is to bring some verses before you concerning the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, just three particular verses that I want to draw to your attention concerning the Holy Spirit. We would say tonight by way of introduction that the Holy Spirit is a real person. We must think about the personality of the Holy Spirit. The shorter catechism, which I hope we're all familiar with, the question six, it asks how many persons are there in the Godhead? And the answer is given there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God. 
the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so when we refer to the Holy Spirit of God, we should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it, because the Holy Spirit of God is the third person in the Godhead. And we can think as well about the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated very early in the Bible. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1 and the second verse, the second verse of Holy Scripture, it tells us, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so the power of God the Holy Spirit was revealed there in creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And of course, the power of the Holy Spirit is further revealed to us in that the Holy Spirit knows all things. The word omniscient which means all-knowing. And in 1 Corinthians the chapter 2, the verses 10 and 11, it indicates there the knowledge of the Spirit. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. The all-knowing, omniscient, Holy Spirit of God. When it comes to our salvation... The work of the Holy Spirit is revealed in salvation. We tonight have experienced something of the working and the power of God the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit brings us under conviction of sin and we have that feeling of guilt before God, knowing that we've sinned before a holy God. And that we face the consequences of that sin. It's the Spirit who brings that conviction. It's the Spirit also who moves upon our hearts and regenerates our hearts. The Apostle Paul uses the word quickened. And that's the word that means made alive. It's that spiritual life before we were dead spiritually. We were dead in trespasses and in sins, but by the work, the power of God, the Holy Spirit upon our hearts, we've been made spiritually alive to God. And we have the promise of the Spirit. And the promise of the Spirit is that The Holy Spirit of God indwells the heart of every believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the verse 16, Paul said to the Corinthians, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 
And so every child of God, everyone who was saved, born again of the Spirit, we have the promised Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit of God resides within, the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher, becomes our instructor. Before the Bible was a closed book, we had difficulty understanding anything of the Scriptures. But the Holy Spirit of God is able to reveal the things of God to us. The Holy Spirit of God is the great sanctifier applying that word to each one of our hearts and therefore we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one who helps us in prayer, able to prompt us to pray. Therefore we see something of the Holy Spirit. But I want us tonight just to look at these few verses together concerning the Holy Spirit. And the first verse that I draw to your attention is found there in our Bible reading in Acts chapter 7. And it's the verse 51, the very first verse that we read together. And Stephen is saying here, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always Resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. And here's a verse that speaks to us about resisting the Holy Ghost. Now Stephen, as we've indicated, is the speaker. And if you were to glance back to Acts chapter 6 and to the verse 5, it makes reference there to Stephen. Acts 6 and the verse 5 And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And there's the description that is given there of Stephen in Acts 6 and 5. He's a man who's full of faith and he's full of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 6 and the verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power. Because he's full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, he's full of faith and power. And whenever you come to that portion that we have read in Acts chapter 7, the verse 55 is referring to Stephen as he's about to pass from time out into eternity. And it says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost. And so here's a man who was full of the Holy Ghost And he's speaking here to his accusers and he's speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But they're resisting. He has been reproving them for their own belief. But he has to refer there in verse 51 to their resistance. They're fighting against the Lord. They're resisting the Holy Spirit of God. And it is an expression there that indicates to us their rejection not only of Stephen, but their rejection of his message, the message of the gospel that was the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Stephen is saying to them here, you do always, 
you're always resisting the Holy Spirit of God. And then he refers back to their fathers and he says, as your fathers did, so do ye. Looking back into the Old Testament, that's the reference that Stephen was making. And those in the Old Testament who, as the next verse, verse 52 indicates, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. The prophets of the Old Testament who had the message of the gospel and who would prophesy of the Messiah himself that would come, your fathers rejected that message. In Isaiah 63 and the verse 10, it says, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy and they fought against him. And there in Old Testament times was that rebelling against the Holy Ghost. And Stephen in the New Testament, as we have read in Acts 7, he's saying, you're repeating the sins of your fathers. They persecuted the prophets who came with the same message. They despised the word of God and you today are doing exactly the same thing as your fathers did, so do ye. You're resisting the Holy Spirit of God. The word there in verse 51, resist the Holy Ghost, it means to strive against. The Holy Spirit of God is one who comes and strives with us. But here's a striving against the Holy Ghost. And it means to oppose by force. And sadly today as we look around us in society, we can see more and more of that resistance. We can see more and more of that opposition. I was in Belfast on Saturday morning past. And there was an open-air protest that was led by the Reverend Garth Wilson of Sandown Road, Free Presbyterian Church. And it was a very dignified protest. It was a good witness for the truth and for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was very clear that those around had no time for the message that was being brought. They resisted. And they sought to oppose. They sought to disrupt the meeting. They came and hurled verbal abuse at the meeting. There was severe provocation. And thankfully no one at our open air rose to that provocation. But we could see an example of what Peter or what Stephen was referring to here. When he says, you do always resist the opposition that comes against the Lord and against the message of the gospel. But yet the Lord was able to give a promise to his people. In Luke chapter 21, I noticed there the verse 15, 
And the Lord had been speaking about the last days and about the end times and the persecution that would come against the people of God. But the Lord said in Luke 21 and 15, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. I'll give you a mouth and I'll give you wisdom that they'll not be able to resist. They'll not be able to fight against it. And you know, with Stephen, we really have an example. And in Acts chapter 6 again, and in the verse 10, it says of Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And so as he was a man who was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That's the authority that we need today. That's the mouth and that's the wisdom that we need. And all that we would pray, pray for such wisdom and pray for such power that the Lord would grant us that overcoming power in these days in which we live, resisting the Holy Ghost. But then I want you to look at another verse of Scripture with me. And it's in Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse 30. Ephesians 4 and the verse 30. And in reference here to the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so we're not to resist the Holy Spirit. And here Paul says we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. We're all familiar with the word grieve. We've all experienced grief. We know and understand what it means to grieve. That word grieve involves a sorrow and a pain. It carries the idea of a wounding. And in fact, that word grieve is connected to unfaithfulness. And if you think of the relationship between husband and wife, if there's unfaithfulness that comes in there, if one party is unfaithful to the other party, well, that party's going to be grieved. They're going to be hurt. They're going to sorrow. There's going to be a heaviness there. And spiritually, that's the word that is used in connection with the Holy Spirit of God. We are not to grieve. We are not to wound. We are not to cause sorrow. And what can grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, sinning against the Lord when we feel and when we sin, that's something that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If we're neglectful of our daily devotion, reading the scriptures and attendance to prayer, that's something that will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But if you're looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and just some of the verses surrounding it, you can see there that there's particular 
reference to certain things. For example, in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, the apostle says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so it's speaking there about certain things in verse 29. And then immediately in verse 30, the apostle says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And so the things referred to in verse 29 would certainly be grieving to the Lord. But look at the verse that immediately follows verse 30. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. There are things that would grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Never let that root of bitterness come in. Put away the wrath, and the anger, the clamor, and the evil speaking. Put it away from you. Because the apostle says, These are the things that will grieve the Holy Spirit. And of course, the final verse of chapter 4, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There seemed to be an indication there that if there is an unforgiving spirit, well, then that's something that's going to grieve the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul, when he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, in those surrounding verses, he gives a good indication of what would grieve the Holy Spirit. There are things that we need to put away. And then the third verse that I want us to consider just briefly this evening is found in 1 Thessalonians and the chapter 5 and the verse 19. 1 Thessalonians, the chapter 5 and the verse 19. It's just a short exhortation there in that verse. And the apostle says, Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. We've thought about not resisting the Spirit and not grieving the Spirit, but here it's the word quench and quench not the Spirit. See, the title there, Spirit could also be translated breath or wind. And whenever you think of it in that sense, to quench actually means to stop the breath, to starve of oxygen, asphyxiation, to strangle the life out of someone, to smother them. That's the thought behind this word quench. And the word quench would also be associated with fire. And the Holy Spirit of God is linked to fire. If someone's full of the Spirit, we would say they're on fire for God. And we know the word quench in relation to fire. It's to extinguish the fire. It's to dampen down the flames. And so we're to quench not the Holy Spirit of God. And again, it would seem in 1 Thessalonians that this command is being given, maybe because certain things were already happening 
they were starting already to quench the Spirit. And that can be detected with looking at those surrounding verses again to that verse 19. If you go back as far as verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. He's referring there to a vindictive spirit, rendering evil for evil. That's something that would quench the spirit. Verse 16, just a short verse there, rejoice evermore. Maybe they were failing now to rejoice in the Lord and appreciate all that they had in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they were beginning to grumble and they were becoming miserable. And the apostle is saying, you're going to quench the spirit. You need to rejoice evermore. Verse 17, he lists another thing. He says, pray without ceasing. Maybe in their prayer life starting to wax and wane and prayer was fading. Verse 18, he said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Maybe there was an ungrateful spirit that was beginning to rise there. And they needed these exhortations in these particular areas so that they would not quench The Spirit of God is given in such a way that it seems that these things had already, already commenced. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit of God as we come to a close, the work of the Holy Spirit of God is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John's Gospel, chapter 15, let me just read to you the verse 26 The Savior said, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And so the work of the Holy Spirit was to testify of Christ. And when we know the infilling and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, we will seek to be those witnesses for the Savior. We will testify of Christ. We will seek to serve him. We'll not resist the Spirit, we'll not grieve the Spirit, we'll not quench the Spirit, but we'll be witnesses for our Lord and Savior. Therefore, tonight I bring these verses before you just as a reminder of how we need to pray for the help and the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul asked believers, some new converts, and he said to them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? That's a good question. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? It's a strange answer that they gave. They said, we have not so much as heard of the Holy Ghost. Though that today, even through this simple reminder tonight, that we would desire to know 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God to empower us and to enable us every day to be witnesses for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us this evening.